Amen. Amen. Welcome in. Welcome to North. Man, what an incredible time of worship. Amen. Man, Amber killed that song. It was awesome. So, uh, man, we are so thankful for a team, as I said last service, that gives so many hours uh, that most of you don't see uh, to, to bring us into the throne room each week. And I, I just pray that that has been the posture of your heart today. I pray that you have worshipped God, not because you've liked the music or you haven't liked the music, but because it ain't about you. Um, I hope you have taken advantage to worship God. Scripture tells us that our praises surround his throne, uh, and so we pray that you have been a pleasing offering to him for that. We get into God's word in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We are excited that we're kind of getting back into the rhythm of things as a church. I'm getting in the rhythm of things as a family, um, individually, which is nice. Uh, but we've got our North 101 to, uh, today, immediately after this service. If you would like to know more information about who we are as a church, man, we would love for you to be a part of our North 101, and we'll feed you. We take care of your kids for you. We got it all worked out for you, all right? So uh, stick around. We'd love to have you do that. Uh, that is a prerequisite for membership, but you are welcome just to come and experience it just to have information about who we are. We would love for you uh, to do that. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're continuing our series through what's next. Last week, we looked behind. We look behind at all the things that God did for Israel. We look behind at the things that God has done in our church uh, leading up to Sunday, the things that God has done, how he has provided, how he has made a way. And today, uh, we're going to look up. God has called us not to look backwards, to live in the past, but what we see God doing in the past informs what we do today. And so today, last week, uh, we, we recalled, right? We looked back, but this week is about reverence, right? We're going to remember, we remembered last week, this week we will reverence God looking up to him and, and reverence what he has for us, his laws, his commands for our life. Last week, like Israel, we were encouraged to look back and celebrate that all that God has done. And so Deuteronomy 4, 40, right? If you can turn there, the uh, the verse there is our theme for this week, for this month, this series. It says, therefore, right? This is talking about all the things that happened before in this text. Because of what God had done, therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commands, which I command you today. This speaks to the reverence that we are to have for God and his law. That it may go well with you. There is a blessing associated to following it and a resulting curse not following God's law, and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. And this speaks to replication. And so that's where we're headed in this series. But today, we will reverence God. We will learn to reverence God, reverence what he's doing and what he has for our life today. I mentioned uh, last week, that, or a couple weeks ago, that my sons were playing football. And I'm going to tell you, it has been a ball to coach them. It's been especially my middle son. I'm actually one of his coaches. And it has been a ball to, to coach him. Now, I will say, people have asked me before, like, man, do you miss it? Do you miss football? And let me just tell you, there are aspects of football that I miss. But as a whole, I do not miss football because of the month of August. 
I hated August. August was like a cuss word to a football player, right? Two-a-days, which they don't do that anymore, right? But two-a-days, we'd go to these camps, and everybody, like, ooh, cool, you're leaving campus. Oh, no, 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 no. That means we find some horrible way to torture us in some other remote location. Uh, and, and I can remember, man, so many August days just dying in the heat, uh, so many times taking hits, giving hits, man, it was, but, but it made football what it was because we know that preseason is the most important time in a season because truly it's where your team begins to gel. It's where you learn fundamentals. And I'll just tell you, for 8U football, they need fundamentals. Uh, my kids, the, the boys, if I said one time, I've said 100 times since they've been in pads this week, you got to keep your body low and your head up, right? We keep our head up to protect ourselves from concussion and those kind of things and so that we can see what we're hitting. But then what they do, because they know they're not supposed to do that, they, they want to see what they're hitting. So down set hike, they stand, stand straight up. Well, anybody that's played football knows how that goes, right? Then a person eats you for dinner. Like that's just how that, how that works, right? So now you're dealing with a giant mass of humanity on top of you because they've driven you into the ground. And so they overcompensate, right? They put their head down. They dive at the knees. They, they miss tackles. They put themselves in harm, right? Fundamentals have to be taught. In the life of a believer, we are training daily. I was reminded by one of my friends this week. There's no such thing as spiritual neutral. Every day, you are growing in relationship with Christ or you are regressing in your closeness with him. Every day you look more like Jesus or less like Jesus. These many days that we have that we would consider spiritual neutral are actually not neutral at all. And so what are we doing to train ourselves to grow in our relationship with Christ? I know that in a vision series, y'all are wanting to know what's next. Y'all are wanting to hear plans and things that we have down the road. But I'm telling you that if we aren't who we need to be today, we will never see what happens tomorrow. And if we do see it, if we see the building or we see the structure or we see whatever the thing may be, the program or the ministry then it'll all be empty, just like Israel's worship became. Because we are not who God has called us to be. Whereas last week we looked back, armed with the knowledge of what is behind us, we will look up today and see what God would call us to do in the here and now. With God, it's always about the next step. It's always about taking the next step. Why did God call, why did Moses in his first message call Israel to remember because Israel had still a job to do. They had a task to complete and they needed to refocus, right? There is a next step for you as an individual in your walk with the Lord, in your commitment to him, in your closeness with Jesus. There's a next step for you. You can either take it or not. But don't think that you're playing a spiritual neutral ground because that does not exist. There's a next step for you individually. There's a next step for our church. And I, as the pastor and our staff, God has given us the task to seek him so that he can illuminate what is next for us. 
The kingdom of God doesn't offer a retirement package to be enjoyed in this life, right? There's not a day where we go, you know what? I've done enough for Jesus. Now I'm going to coast. Now I'm going to just chill. I'm just going to hang out. Billy Graham, the man that probably led more people to Jesus than anybody in the history of the world, maybe in addition to Paul, right? He, in his last days, do y'all remember my hope? Do y'all remember that? Maybe in some of your churches, church homes that predates Lindsay Lane North, by the way. I can remember inviting people to our house. I remember inviting them to the church and playing this playing this video in which Billy Graham from his home because he couldn't leave his home physically because of how old he was and how frail he was, shares the gospel. So he goes into the homes all over the place through the television. And it's not a new trick by Billy, for Billy Graham, by the way. Uh, and shares the gospel in the last days of his life. There's no retirement plan. But our retirement plan is out of this world. <laughs> right? Got it? Heaven. Got me? Tyler, are you with me? Good. All right. Heaven, right? What does Paul say? To live is Christ. So as long as I am converting oxygen into carbon dioxide, to live is Christ. And to die is then what? Gain. I'm not worried about the reward here. I'm worried about what I will receive in glory. Right? And so let's look first. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, let's look at the rules The rules that are laid out, if we are to reverence God and reverence his law, we must understand what he has given us, the task that he has given us to complete. What does our life look like? And before we do that, let's go to him in prayer. Father, I pray that you would speak to your people today. God, as I prayed in the first service, I've got a script. But God, I pray that you would communicate. You would teach us, you would grow us, you would challenge us, and you would change us in light of your living word. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's look at the rules. Deuteronomy 5, verse 1. And Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel. By the way, this word hear does not mean like literally to have a message communicated to you, to receive a message. It means to receive and then obey, to hear and then heed this message. The statutes and the rules that I speak to you and you're hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord has made a covenant with us in Horeb, not with our fathers did the Lord make his covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. Now, he tells them there is a list of rules. And in fact, the second message, this second sermon that he preaches goes from here all the way to Deuteronomy 26, where Moses lays out God's law. He begins at Sinai. He begins from in chapter 5 with giving them the Ten Commandments. You know the law. You know the statutes. You know the commandments. You know all 10 of them. You remember when, I, when your mamas and daddies disobeyed and I threw them down and they broke and God made me new ones, right? You remember the law. And then he spends the next 20 chapters 
explaining in great detail what the law looks like to be followed by Israel. Here is clarification in case you were wondering. This is what you do with the Levites. This is what you do here. You know, all of the different rituals, all of those stem from the Ten Commandments, right? And he takes each one and gives the implication and the application for each one of the Ten Commandments. This is what it looks like in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But listen what he says, right? The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. He's talking about Sinai, Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai is the same place. Different places in Scripture uh, refer to it in different ways. But he says, it's not your fathers that I made the covenant with. Time out. Moses. You crazy as you look. Because God may have made that covenant with you, but he did not make it with me. My mama and my daddy were who he made that with. Do you remember what happened in numbers, right? The whole generation had to die out before they could go into the promised land. And Moses is given his last win one for the Gipper speeches before he ducks out. So none of that generation was around when all that happened except Caleb and Joshua. So literally when he says, hey, God didn't make this covenant with my, your fathers. He made it with you. They're all going, well, no, they didn't. Because my mom and dad is the one that told me about it. What he was explaining was what we know as a, re, a generational renewal of the covenant of Moses. The covenant of Moses was unique in that it was, if you were to ex- understand, if you were to experience the blessing of the Mosaic covenant, then you would have to adhere and obey and be obedient to the commands that were laid out. If you were going to experience the blessing and not the curse, then you had to be obedient to the plan and the purposes of God. You had to be obedient to God. Now, God made a lot of covenants with man, and a lot of them were unconditional. A lot of them was, regardless of what you do, I will be with you. I will be with you. You will be my people. He did it to Abraham. He did it uh, to David. He did it to Judah. He did it over and over and over again. did it to Jeremiah later, right, in the new covenant. All of those were unconditional, but the Mosaic covenant required that each generation must decide if they were going to be obedient to God or not. And he's saying, so the same laws that went for your mom and dad go for you today. He is renewing his covenant with you this generation. The Jewish people built an entire ideology on that fact. The fact that what God spoke at Sinai went for every generation. Yet they wandered from it. This is the reason, Deuteronomy 6, flip over a page or look over the next page. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. Here is the reason, after giving us the Ten Commandments, why are you telling us this, Moses? We already knew these, we'd memorized these. And when the Lord brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great cities which you did not build, he's talking about the promised land, Great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, not today where you've had a meager portion of manna, but when you have eaten all that you want and experienced what you would feel in your physical life is life to the full. Verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord. 
take care lest in your comfort you miss the Lord. You forget him. You see, Israel's sin was never that they hated God. Israel's sin is just that they had other irons in the fire. They had other things that took precedence over how God had dictated their life to live. In fact, they still adhered to most of the laws. Most of the rituals, most of the worship services looked the same way. But they were a shell because their hearts were not there. What does he say there? Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God. You shall fear him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear, and you shall not go after other gods. The gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. There is a thing that we must understand that the fear of God, there is a reverence that we must understand that he is awesome. He is terrifying. When you look at the word in the Hebrew, fear means all of those words. It means to be fearful of, to be afraid of, particularly when you're on the other side of something from him. To be fearful, to reverence him, to understand his weight and his power and his position. Fear the Lord, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. I brought something to illustrate the relationship between fear and reverence. Who was a disciplinarian in your home? Mom? Dad? How many of you got the wait till your daddy gets home? How many of y'all got that? Let me tell you how many times I got that in my home. You know why? Because my little five, five, what did you about five, five? She's about five, five, like 150 pounds maybe. Uh, little mama was prepared to go nuclear and she was someone to fear. I would hear rummaging around in a drawer when I wasn't where I needed to be in my relationship with her relative to the things that she had told me to do. I would hear the door the, the, the drawer sling open and I would hear all of the utensils, right, slam to the front. Some of you have lived this. Some of you, it sounds like a picture where like what we have where I got this from. By the way, Pioneer Woman, sturdy spanking spoon, by the way. You can break these things. Uh, not a Pioneer Woman, man. She understands the, the necessity. Uh, mix and then spank. Uh, but my kids... We'll hear the rummaging in the little pitcher that holds all of them. And there immediately you'll hear their little feet, like whatever we were telling them to do. Right? My mama didn't mind taking things into her matters into her own hands. And so that little woman would go crazy. I'm going to be honest with you. I feared my mama in crazy way more than I feared my dad because he was pretty objective all the time. Right? My mama was crazy. I'll never forget one time. We were watching Saved by the Bell, getting ready for school. Um, Saved by the Bell, right? Watching that, I was completely dressed. My sister was not. So she yells in there, kids, turn off the TV. And I tried to explain to her that I was ready. My sister wasn't. She didn't care. 
I go to turn off the TV while she's still yelling at me, and I whisper under my breath, shut up, woman. I turn off the TV, thinking I'm good. Big house on the other side of the room, other side of the house. And I go into the kitchen, and I'm looking at something on the island, and I hear her little feet. And I turn around, and about that time, my mom meets me with a slap. Like she has crow hopped down the hallway and prepared herself and hit me, turns my face completely sideways, and I'm like, I can't believe it. And before I can finish it, y'all, I'm telling you, she's tiny. Y'all, some of y'all have met her. She grabs me by my shirt and slings me up against the wall. I'm, I'm lying, I'm dying. And she screams, I have raised a monster! Just like that. Just like that. Y'all, I feared my mama. And finally, I learned when she says something, I did it. There's a relationship between fear and reverence. Did I ever doubt my mom's love? Nope. But did her love come with this sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this is, this is what it, Moses is explaining to the people of Israel, right? Like, you as this generation decide if you're going to keep God's law or not. There's a relationship that, that has to be established, though. And I just want to tell you where I believe this meets our church. When we first started our church, we were in the gym. Uh, our first few Sundays, we got there a little before 7, 6.45. We set up. We had about 30 minutes to pray and get our minds right and everything changed because we were all sweaty and do our service. Then, and, and in our service, and a lot of times our volunteers, right, they're working, right? So like our, our women, our ladies are watching kids and making coffee and all of the things that we do already today. That's what that hour and a half looked like. And then they kiss all the babies and hug all the mamas and everybody leaves. And then we start breaking down. When we started, we got there a little before 7 at 6.45 and we usually left a little after 2. Now we shaved off an hour on either end of those and we thought we had arrived. We were on easy street because we had gotten good at it. So we, had, we got there at 7.45 and we didn't leave till a little after 1. We had arrived. We're talking about from 7 hours to 5 hours of solid work but we knew why we were doing it and we were convinced that God had called us to meet the needs of this the spiritual needs of this community that God had called us there we had gotten our heading and our bearings from looking up and you will never hear me say that I want to go back to set up and tear down but what you will hear me say is there are a lot of things that I miss about those days. God supernaturally provided this building. You heard me praise him and celebrate it yesterday. But there is now a culture that I must protect against in our church where we have gotten comfortable because the seats stay out. Because the stage stays in place. Because the child care is always set up. That now we have to do everything in our power to 
try to get someone to buy into the idea that we can attend one worship service and we can serve another worship service. Not talking about seven hours, not talking about five hours, we're talking about three. And part of that, most of, some one of that is or an hour and a half of that or an hour of that, depending on how long I preach, okay, uh, is worship, is us getting an opportunity to allow God to speak into our life. But we're fighting tooth and nail. That What is that? It is God blessing us as a church, but then us allowing that to lead to complacency. Why did Israel sin? Because they had become comfortable and complacent. And because they weren't having to go out every morning and get manna from the ground, they could chase the pretty little Canaanite women that were running around. And then those pretty Canaanite women became wives, which God told them not to do. And those wives, because they didn't want to put up with a nag their whole life, they decided to adopt their gods as a family with children that worshipped Yahweh and worshipped these pagan Canaanite gods. And slowly but surely, their comfort became their undoing. Do you know, read the Minor Prophets. Read the Minor Prophets and tell me how much God hates complacency hates the comfort of just coming and getting from God what you want to get. And I'm not saying, y'all, we're the worst church in the world. Please, far from it. But I'll tell you this, it's a culture that I have to, we have to protect. We have to watch ourselves daily. I have to watch myself as I walk in the door of these church. Am I coming with the right mindset or am I asking my church to meet a need that only the relationship with Jesus could meet? They say the most difficult time in a church plan is from year three to year six. The newness wears off. And many of you, some of you, this is the only church you know. So this is just how church is done. And at first it was like, this is cool. This is interesting. This is different. But now it's just church. Now it's just getting together and we do this every Sunday. It's just the routine of it. And we protect. And we understand this is why I'm standing before you. This is vision here. God has called us to continue to move, to continue to take next steps, to continue to grow, to continue to mature. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in the same boat that Israel is in, looking back at the past going, wow, look at all the stuff that God used to do. And living outside of his blessing in our generation. Secondly, the relationship. Those are the rules. There's a relationship. And let me just tell you this. If you miss this, you've missed the whole... You, 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 in fact, you'll leave today mad because I've stepped on your toes because you're not serving in a ministry team or you're not involved in a home group or you're not doing this or you're not doing that. And that pastor won't leave me alone. He's talking about... He's always talking about my money. He's always talking about ministry. Another thing I'm not doing. Uh, he, he ought to be grateful I'm there. You're going to leave mad. Here he is again talking about rules. You know what's interesting to me? Israel never, never got away from the religion aspect of following, Jesus, following God. 
You know what Israel didn't always do, though? Is worship them with, his, with their whole heart. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Get in perspective who God is. You shall love, you shall love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know what it doesn't say? You will serve in a ministry team with all your heart, soul, and mind. You will come to church with all your heart, soul, and mind. You will, uh, you, you will serve coffee with all your heart, soul, and mind. You will take care of babies and white butts with all your heart, soul, and mind. It doesn't say any of those things. Why? Because those things are important, but they are not what it means to be a follower of Yahweh God. It is not what it means to be his people. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, pastors like to go on a little bit, but he could have ended the message right there. Had Israel perfectly adhered to loving God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might, they would have never had to go through what they went through. And so their religion became exactly that. It was no longer about a relationship. It was about religion. Do you know what we call that today? Legalism. Doing all the things of church, doing all the religious things, religious demands because our pastor is honest to do it or because we feel like we ought to because we live where we live, right? We take our cues from the culture, not from God's word. And so we should be this way. And all along we miss God's heart. His command is to love me. Love me with all your heart, soul, and And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And just like it's important for you to understand that this covenant is made with you, it's going to be made with your children. Again, what does he say? And these words that I command you today will be on your heart, and you will teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. What is he talking about? He's talking about not just, he's talking about serving God with everything that you are. And when your insides are his. Your outsides can't help it but to serve him. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about lifestyle obedience that's born out of intimacy with a love of God. Here's what I would tell you today. If all you heard from today is, hey, here's all these things that I need to be doing. I really need to serve in this capacity or that capacity, or I really need to sling hot dogs on the, on a, in a concession stand sometime. You know, there's needs all over the place that our church has. But if all you hear is that, you are in danger of doing what the Israelites did. And that's do all the right things and miss God while doing them. Obedience that is not motivated by love is not obedience. It's the opposite. Let me say that again. And if you're taking notes, this is what you write down. Obedience that is not motivated by love is not obedience. 
If we are serving out of compulsion, like giving, what did the the church of Corinth, what did he say? God loves a cheerful cheerful giver. What is he saying? If you're giving and you're you're begrudging into every dime you give, my Lord, don't give. Because God sure as heck can't bless you and he can't bless it. So it's useless in the same way. God can't even use the things that we think we're being obedient in when our heart isn't where it needs to be. And so what I would appeal to you today when we talk about vision, if we're going to go forward, we're going to move forward, we need to progress as a church. We are a three-year-old church, and it looks like it sometimes. Yeah, well, there's a lot of activity, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of servanthood, and a lot of things happening. It's exciting. But man, if you're not growing in your relationship with Christ daily, you are missing what it means to be his disciple. God hasn't called you to be a church member. He's called you to be in the family of God. He's called you to a relationship. What he's trying to tell, what Moses is trying to tell the people of Israel is, look, man, you're going to get so caught up in doing stuff that God can even use that stuff to keep you, or Satan can use that stuff to keep you from God, the activity of God keeping you from intimacy with God. But when it's all in order, when your heart is aligned with his, then you will serve out of the overflow and it won't be compulsion. And you won't go, I do everything at that church. Why is he asking me to do something else? You'll know because you have that informed relationship, personal relationship with Christ, whether God's called you to do that or not. You'll be able to tell the pastor no in obedience to God because you can't do it all. By the way, at this point, I've shifted from preaching to you to preaching to myself. And I'll tell you this. We should have a better grasp on this than the people of Israel did. Because God has made himself personally available to us. He's not just our God in the sense that he was Israel's God. Like, hey, God looked after us. He, like, we're his homies. Like, he really likes us and gave us all these plans and purposes. No, we, the, the, the stakes have been heightened. God, we have a God who has made himself available to live within us. So Deuteronomy 11, 1, right? He says, you, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, keep his statutes, his rules, his commandments always. Before he goes into all of these details, because 11 is when he starts to make a shift and starts t- speaking of things specifically, very, very meticulous in his instructions from 11 to 26. And he says, but before I say any of that, you need to understand, love God and then keep his commandments. In the New Testament, is shed light, there's light shed on this. John, right? Who was he known as? He was known as the disciple who Jesus loved. He was known for his relationship and connection with Jesus. John 14 tells us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 15, abide in my love and prove to be my disciple if you love me and keep my commandments. 1 John, the entire book of 1 John, the theme of it, guess what it is? God's love. The man was obsessed with it. A man who could speak with authority about a personal relationship with a physical Jesus then experiences the incredible closeness of a relationship with God through his Holy Spirit and says, this is even better. 
The love of God motivates everything that we do. So much so that John in his last years in exile would write a letter and he'd talk to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 and tell them, you've done a lot of really good things, church of Ephesus. Wow, Ephesus. But I've got this against you. You've lost your first love. And in so doing, you have missed the definition of who you are as a church. You're no longer a church. You are now a social gathering. You are a civitan club because you don't have me. But you're doing a whole lot of good stuff. Return to me is what he tells them. Return to me. Christ's church has experienced the ultimate illumination of this idea. Having all experienced the life-transforming love of God, that's what, as the church, if you are a member of the church, that means that you have accepted Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And if you have done that, he has changed you from the inside out. He has given you an access to him that the world does not understand. That even people that come in this room outside of a relationship with God, when they see the way that you respond in worship, you just look like a whack job to them because they don't understand it. But God's love has been placed in you. You have experienced the life-transforming love of God, and we meet together not to experience the love of God. We don't meet together. We don't come on Sunday to experience the love of God. My Lord, I hope you understand that that's not something that you have to do corporately. You do that individually. God has given you access through what Christ did for you on Calvary to understand his love in a personal way. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's not a corporate initiative. That is an individual initiative. He came for you and he came for me. I experience love every day as I walk with the Father. So why do I come to church? Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why do we come to church? Because church is the place that we get the opportunity to stir each other up. Listen, you don't have to meet. I want you to understand. You don't have to meet the prerequisite of showing me and demonstrating the love of God to me. Because I experience his love daily through a relationship with him. Now, what we are called to do is to demonstrate that love to people outside of that relationship. People that would come in and go, what is up with these folks? Now, we are a testimony to them. 
But when we come in the wall, the four walls of this church, it is not about how much we can soak up, how much love we can feel, how much acceptance we can gather so that we feel more encouraged and we feel better about ourselves. That is asking the church to do something only the Savior can do. We come to church to figure out how we can better and most effectively bring out that love in one another. Because I've experienced love, I want you to experience love. And because you experience love, you want me to experience love. And so we'll do whatever it takes. We'll serve in whatever capacity we need to serve to make sure that the kingdom of God is lifted up on Sunday morning rather than making us feel better. This is the perspective of coming to church. So the question is, did you come today to be stirred To be motivated, to be encouraged to go back out there and get them, buddy. Or did you see, did you come today to see the power of God played out in someone else's life? You have the opportunity through your involvement with this church, or I don't care, the church down the road, if that's where God's calling you. Look up and you ask Him. You have the opportunity. To be the person that demonstrates and stirs up the love of God in someone else. To bring them, if not into a new relationship with Christ, into a right relationship with Christ. That's why God has you here. That's what it means. Listen, your preference and your comfort and the fact that you like or don't like a style of worship, that'll get you in the walls of a church. But it is only looking up at God's calling in your life that will make you a part of the church. So what about you? Do you come with that selfish ideology of what can the church do for me? Or do we recognize the church for what it is? It is a breeding ground to bring glory to God. It is a breeding ground to, for people to come and to sacrifice and die so that the world can hear what's made, already made the transformative difference in our life. Don't put on the church something that the church was not meant to. And that's why we get selfish. I hope that we're not coming to church to experience the love and the presence of God. I experience the love and the presence of God personally. It's not a meeting. This is not a meeting. We are different than every other meeting. We are a movement. God has changed us, and therefore we change others. It is not a a reservoir. It is a river. It is the gospel. The grace of God has flowed to us to flow to someone else. David Platt says, we've taken the command of Christ to go and baptize and teach all nations, and we've mutated into a comfortable call to come and be baptized and sit in one location. That's the state of the culture that we live in. Church is an event we attend. It's only an event worth attending If the church assembles, if we who house the presence of God meet here. Deuteronomy 26, 16, lastly, we see the reward. 
We see the reward, and, 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 and listen, there's a whole text here. I want to I bring out verse 18. Obey all these rules, obey all these statutes, obey all the things that I've told you to do, right? This is what God is declaring to his people. This is what we want you to do, what I've declared today, right? This is his second message, as in closing, as he would say. In closing, all of these commands are important, but I want you to understand what your reward is. Verse 18, and the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commands. What does doing this thing the right way, right? As I teach my sons how to tackle better, right? What does that lead to? It leads to success on the field. What, what does it lead to? The success in the kingdom of God is loving God, obeying his commands. And what does he do in return? He gives you unrestricted access to himself. Do you know what the reward of God is in every covenant? All the Old Testament covenants and even now in the new, do you know what the reward of the covenant is? God's revelation of himself to us. Deeper revelation and connection to himself. Who is man that you're mindful of him? Great question, because we don't deserve any of it. But God has revealed himself to us. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the finishing, the, the, the fulfillment of, of what he says there in Deuteronomy 26, 18. 1 Peter 2, 19, 2, 9, excuse me. But you are a chosen race. He is talking to people of God, housing the presence of God as the church. No specific church individually, but the entire universal church. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. All of these things are things that he's already promised. He promised Israel, but because they could not obey, right? Because they could not fulfill the law and the demands. Jesus came Jesus did what you and I couldn't do. He perfectly adhered to the law and the covenants. He became our Passover lamb. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We as the New Testament church are called to mature, to grow, to get active. Not because some intangible God said we should do it, but because a personal God who loved us enough to bridge the chasm between death and life offered himself for us so that we could be with him. That's why we do it. Yeah, there's rules. Obedience. We, we, we have to be obedient. But it's amazing how when God has our heart, our hands and our feet follow. Does he have your heart? Are you in this thing? I'm not asking if you attend regularly. I could care less about that. Are you a part of the church? And if you feel like you can't do it here, by all means, please come find me so that I can help direct you somewhere where you can be. There is no such thing as sideline Christianity in the Bible. 
God's called you to make a difference. But to be motivated for a heart for him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you, you know that you don't have a relationship with Christ. I'm not, I'm not asking if you've ever done any religious things that look like that. If you've walked an aisle or cried or checked a box or been baptized. I'm asking you, is your heart God's? Is it surrendered to him completely and, and fully? And if it's not, I want to invite you to respond in a relationship with him today. I want you to surrender yourself. Come, maybe your first step would be braving what everybody thinks in this room of you, whether they know you to be an unbeliever or whether they believe you to be of the family of God and to come and find me so that we can get you connected with somebody that can share with you the message of the gospel. You can surrender your life to him. Would you be obedient to him? I'm not asking for empty gesture. I'm asking for your heart. God is, God's invitation is for your heart. And then if you are his, man, we need to do business. If we're to move forward as a church, some harebrained pastor tell you all these plans that he has for the church and what's going to be put in and buildings and all those sorts of things, which will happen in this series. If our heart ain't in it, the very thing that we could see as a blessing could be the very thing that causes us to greater stumble. Would you pursue Christ with me? Would you join me in this? Man, let's together charge hell with a water pistol. Making it hard to go to hell from Elmont. God's enlisted you in that work as he's enlisted me. Father, have your will and way in this time of invitation. May we get our lives right. And may our lives be right because our hearts are right. And that begins right now. Lord, as we confess our sins, Lord, as we move as you lead us to make whatever decision you'd have us to make, to pray and, or intercede for ourselves or others, to find a spot here at the altar to lay things down, just pray that you show us what that next step looks like for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you do for us and how you're going to move. In your name.